The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in Boston, and here is your top five at five. And can we make it five for five? Stocks looking to cap off a winning week as investor attention turns from inflation to earnings. On deck, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, and Citigroup. We'll see if the group can surprise to the upside estimates have come down in recent weeks. A pay package price cut, Tim Cook responding to investor pressure over a falling share price and operational issues at Apple. First it was China, now Tesla slashing prices at home as buyer and investor demand for the company's shares continues to wane. And today may be known as, you know, one of the unluckiest days of the year, but somebody forgot to tell the stock market. I'll tell you why. Don't be scared. Even though it's Friday, the 13th, this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and good Friday, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan, and yes, it is Friday the 13th, but don't worry. We've still got a great guest lineup for you this fine morning, so let's get right to it. Hit the markets and your money and go forward. And it really has been kind of a fine run for stocks lately because we have been higher every day this week. All the major averages up with more gains in the market on Thursday. Here's how things are looking right now. Kind of a mixed trade. Dow features up, NASDAQ features down a bit. But overall, stocks have been rising as bond yields have come down. In fact, the 10-year is back below 3.5%. Right now, the 10-year is at 3.43%. In the meantime, in the commodity complex, oil continues to tick higher. It is closing back in on $80 per barrel right now. It's around 78 and change. Also watch natural gas. Reuters reporting yesterday that the Freeport LNG facility may now not restart until next month. It was supposed to be back online a few months ago. The Freeport facility is 20% of all U.S. LNG exports, so it matters a lot to Europe and to prices. And the longer that facility is offline, the more gas inventories build up and prices likely go down. And last but not least, in crypto we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether right now. They are a little lower, but overall, they've had a great 2023. In fact, Bitcoin back above 19,000 on yesterday. And those two have been the top macro assets so far this year, each up more than 10%. Down a little now, but overall, a great year. All right, that's what's happening here. Let's get a check on the trade and some of the key headlines in Asia and Europe. Arabili Gumede is standing by in our London newsroom. Arabili. Yeah, good morning, Brian. So you're quite right. Do not fear, right? Markets have certainly gone a whole lot higher across the week, including today. If we kick things off out uh, on the Asian market front, then you're going to see a whole lot of positivity outside of the Nikkei, which has dropped one and a quarter of a percentage point. But very interesting to note that the Hang Seng going up one percent, even though it was weighed down, actually, by tech giants, right? The likes of Alibaba and Tencent. And here's the reason why. It seems that Chinese government entities are looking to be taking so-called golden handshakes 
in units of both Alibaba and Tencent. So these two managing to go higher, but that just means that Chinese governments are going to be, or the Chinese government is going to be taking, theoretically, a little more control of these companies, even if they have only grabbed around 1% or so of these uh, stocks for now. But that just means that in future they'll be able to deal with just how uh, things are done in this tech sector, which has, of course, been very influential, even incurring a few issues, of course, with the United States. Still sticking out in Asia, South Korea has been very interesting uh, as well. It seems that the central bank there has raised its interest rates by 25 basis points in a key look to fight inflation as well. Inflation figure there, 5%, still relatively high, but down from the 6.3% they saw around two months ago, so 5% in the month of December. 1.7% growth in 2023 is the growth picture for South Korea. So this is pretty much the yield outlook there. On to the European market segment. Well, we're seeing green across the board, mostly uh, on this front. 4,100, half a percent higher with the IBEX 35, eight-tenths stronger there as well. Very, very interesting to note then, of course, that the GDP number out of the UK also came out for the month of Dece- uh, December then. We also saw in November, should I say, it was 0.1% month on month but down 0.3% on a year-on-year basis when you compare the last three months uh, as well. So very interesting to note that figure kind of does mean that the recession may be delayed, but not necessarily avoided. Brian. Delayed, but not avoided. Arabili Gumedi, thank you very much. All right, so let's get some of this morning's top corporate stories stateside, including a pay package cut for Apple boss Tim Cook. Pippa Stevens is in here with that and more this fine Friday morning. Pippa, good Good, morning. Good morning, Brian. And starting here with Apple, which is cutting Tim Cook's overall pay package by 40 percent this year to forty nine million dollars in total compensation. The change comes after a request from Tim Cook following an earlier shareholder vote on his pay package. Apple is also reducing the number of restricted stock units that Cook would receive should he retire before 2026. Last year, Cook made just under $83 million in stock awards, $12 million in incentives, and $3 million in salary. And first it was China, but now Tesla is cutting vehicle prices in the U.S. by as much as 20%. The cuts, which span the company's entire car lineup, will also allow some buyers to qualify for $7,500 tax credit reserved for vehicles priced below $55,000. The biggest cuts will come to Tesla's Model Y crossover, which will now start at just under $53,000, excluding certain fees, and the Model 3 sedan now starting at just under $54,000. The Model 3 and Model Y are Tesla's best-selling vehicles and represent the bulk of its output. Shares are down about 5% here in the pre-market. And reports this morning, the federal aviation regulators, lawmakers and air safety advocates have been warning for years about outdated technology and other problems with the FAA safety system that brought U.S. air travel to a halt earlier this week. According to the Transportation Department's most recent budget request for the FAA, the agency's notice to air missions or NODAM alert system is, quote, failing vintage hardware that needs to be quickly replaced. Others are saying while it may not be as glamorous as a new airport, without it, an entire industry cannot function. Man, Brian, failing vintage hardware, that is, that is quite the charge. The software apparently is some 30 years old. They've been talking about replacing it for years, and it's hard to believe, but some of the air traffic controllers, Pippa, and I don't want to scare anybody who's going to the airport because they're very good at what they do at their job, they use paper strips 
in, in large cases to monitor air traffic. Wow. Brian, it's Friday it's the 13th. We, we don't, we don't want to hear about the, the air traffic controllers. No, by the way, and they do. we love them. They do a great job, and we love when we take off. and la- By the way, landing is the key to a successful flight. Pippa Stevens, yeah. <laughs> thank you. We'll see you in a bit. It's always the landing that you just want to, you know, nail the, nail the landing. All right. Well, today is Friday the 13th, and while a superstitious day that might get many spooked, you know, it's actually got a good rep on Wall Street. Get this. According to data from Dow Jones, going back to its inception, the market, not the Friday the 13th, on average, the S&P 500 has risen on this day, up an average of 0.1%. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but it's actually triple the average gain of the market on sort of a regular day, if it will. There you go. So there are bad days, by the way. The, the worst one, the worst Friday the 13th, if you care, was in October of 1989, because of course it was, when the S&P 500 fell 6.1%. But there are good days as well, with the best performance being one of these weird COVID, early COVID lockdown bounce backs in March of 2020, when the S&P rose 9.3%. Just a fun little historical fact to maybe help wake you up on this Friday. Let's dig into it a little more meaningfully with Eric Marshall. He is portfolio manager and co-chief investment officer at Hodges Capital Management. Eric, welcome back. Do not worry. We're not going to ask you about random days trades, but, you know, we had to throw that in there as kind of a a bonus RBI. Overall, let's talk more macro markets. How are you feeling about the markets? How are you feeling about earnings expectations right now? Well, you know, our, our investment team is really laser focused on the upcoming earnings season. <clears throat> and uh, at the, the investment team at Hodges talks to a lot of different companies. And what we think will happen here in the first quarter is you're going to really start to see a lot of input costs for companies come down. Uh, but a lot of the sell side estimates out there are probably a lot higher than the buy side. But this isn't true across all sectors. We actually think there are areas of the economy that even in a slower environment are going to hold up better than others. Like where? What's going to hold up? Well, like, like we, we, uh, we, we see a, uh, a renaissance going on in manufacturing with onshoring of a lot of manufacturing back to North America. People try to tighten up supply chains. You've recently heard about all the uh, semiconductor plants being built here uh, domestically. So we think actually the, a lot of the industrial side of the economy will hold up better even in a slower economic environment. And the consumer side of the economy may be hurt a little worse as people really worked down their savings rates last year and uh, you start to see things slow down a little bit. So we think you could have somewhat of a bifurcated market. And uh, we like a lot of companies like material companies. We still like energy and we're finding opportunities <clears throat> by stocks at pretty reasonable multiples, given all the multiple compression that we saw last year in light of higher interest rates. And I was looking at the top holdings in your small cap fund yesterday, Eric. You've got a lot of infrastructure type plays. You've got some housing plays in there. Let's talk about one of the infrastructure names, and that is Eagle Materials. Again, sort of a literally rocks on the ground type company. What do you like about EXP? Yeah, this is a a pretty boring company that is one of the largest uh, cement manufacturers in the United States. And they actually are seeing very good pricing power 
for cement. We haven't added any real cement capacity over the last 30 years in this country. And as all the infrastructure really gets underway this year for funding that occurred a year ago, you're really going to see, uh, we think things take off for Eagle. And uh, the company trades at you know, pretty close to what we think is the replacement value of the cement assets. Okay, and then lastly, as a small cap semiconductor company, we do not talk about much, and that is diodes. Very quickly, please, Eric. Yeah, this is a Dallas-based analog semiconductor company. We think the semiconductors really are going to probably bottom out the middle of next year. This is one that we think has a lot of upside leverage, and we would be looking at that space right now, and we like diodes, and we own it in our small cap fund. Diodes and Eagle Materials, Semiconductors and Roads. Eric Marshall, we appreciate your views. Good Friday morning. Thanks for getting up early for us, Eric. You have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, RBC's Halima Croft is back in the Middle East. We're going to speak with her about what she calls the oil market wild cards in the year ahead. Plus, big bank results on deck. Anton Schutz is here with his expectations and some bank picks for you. We are back right after this. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome or welcome back. And maybe don't look now, but oil prices, they are back on the rise. And this week, they're on track for a gain to more than 6% with Brent crude overseas in line for its best week since October. The move comes as China demand starts to fire back up. So what is next? And what are some of the wild cards out there? Let's talk more about all this and all things energy with Halima Croft, Global Head of Commodity Strategy and a CNBC contributor. She joins us from Abu Dhabi because, of course you do, Halima. Good to have you back on. Uh, What are the oil market wild cards for 2023? I mean, Brian, as you teed it up, I mean, it's not a wild card. It's the story is the China reopening. I mean, what is that going to mean for demand? Does China basically say we're going to proceed with the complete reopening? And do we have this surge in demand that essentially propels oil prices higher? That is the absolute bull case for oil. I just came back from Saudi Arabia and they're watching this story very closely. Something was highlighted to me is watch the Chinese New Year. Are we going to see a potential rise in COVID cases in the Chinese New Year? That will be a big test of the the government's commitment to seeing this through. But if they proceed with the reopening, I mean, obviously that's the catalyst to move higher. Other stories to watch, though, the Russians have made a lot of noise about cutting off consumers that pay at the price cap. Right now, Russian cargoes are going to countries with Western services being provided. So it looks like India is abiding by the price cap. Does Russia make good on their threats to cut these countries off? 
What happens in February with the embargo on Russian products into Europe? Do we see potentially more dislocation in the market or is it smooth sailing? And my final wild card, Bibi Netanyahu's back in power in Israel, leading the most hawkish government, some say, on you know, Israeli history. Do we see potentially more tensions with Iran as they proceed with their nuclear program? Okay, let's dissect those one by one. Halima, number one is China. China, their imports obviously fell last year. But I was looking at some IEA and EIA numbers, and if China fully goes up, I mean, they could swing global demand by two to three million barrels a day. I mean, that is all and maybe more of our excess capacity. There's a chart we're showing about peak. We were over ah, about 13 million barrels a day briefly before covid how much could China swing the whole thing? I mean, again, that's why we say this is the story. So, again, the question is, does China continue with this policy? I mean, there are serious challenges in the Chinese healthcare system. Again, why people are saying, watch the Chinese New Year. There's an expectation you're going to see a rise in COVID cases around those celebrations. That will be a test of the government's resolve to see this through. But again, if they continue with this plan for this full reopening, that is obviously the big catalyst for oil prices moving higher. But then what does the Fed do? I mean, again, that was something highlighted on our trip to Saudi Arabia. Does this potentially mean that you're going to have more aggressive Fed action? Are there going to be supply chain issues? And what does that do to oil prices? Yep. That is something, again, if you think about the view from Riyadh, they are watching this very closely. They're saying we're not necessarily out of the woods yet on China. And OPEC is, you know, prepared. If there is some type of setback, they're prepared, I think, to say we are the stabilizing force in this oil market. If we, there's a lot of ways to make the bullish case on oil. China, U.S. production's not growing that much. By the way, the, the EIA here in the United States just came out with its first 2024, not really forecast, but kind of outlook, Kalima, and they said they thought that we could see demand globally tick up. But if I had to say what's the biggest single argument for lower oil prices, what would it be? What could be the negative for the market? Global, global recession. And again, speed bumps in the China reopening. Again, what the concerns we heard was China reopens and you have concerns of the Fed and you essentially have more aggressive rate <coughs> hikes. That is the, the concern that everybody is watching is if China does fully reopen, propels higher energy prices, supply chain issues, does the Fed come back in with a more aggressive rate hiking schedule? That's the concern from Riyadh. Again, while everyone is watching this China reopening story, they're essentially saying you have to be cautious. We're not entirely sure of the direction yet. There we go. There is the potential bear case, China the big bull case, and we always appreciate your global view. Halima Croft in Abu Dhabi. Halima, we'll see you soon. Safe travels, my friend. All right, still on deck here on this Friday, your big money movers and why shares of that SPAC are surging ahead of the open. Ready for launch? Anyone? From a flat tire in the city 
to a dead battery on a distant drive. AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back. Are you ready for some big money movers on this Friday? Well, we are, so let's jump right in. First up is actually two stocks, Alibaba and Tencent. China moving to take shares in local units of both companies. The move coming as Beijing takes on a greater role in overseeing the country's technology companies. Wink, wink. Next up, Virgin Galactic, a spaceflight company taking off. Get it? And extended trading after reaffirming its target to launch commercial service in the second quarter of this year. Of today's move, that stock is up 25% so far this week and up again right now. And third is Hanes Brands, the underwear and T-shirt company, also rallying Thursday. It hiked its outlook and announced a search for a new CFO. The company saying it expects fourth quarter sales to be slightly above its revenue guidance. Hanes Brands up in the pre-market. Finally, well, the latest trader favorite, what else? Bed Bath & Beyond reportedly in talks with potential lenders to finance its bankruptcy proceedings. According to Bloomberg, a possible bid is being discussed that could result in some or all of the company's assets being bought. Shares are up more than 300% this week as retail traders grab a hold of the stock. Just be careful out there, folks. Remember, Bed Bath & Beyond is talking about bankruptcy, about possibly going away, no more company, meaning maybe no more stock, and yet the stock is up 300% this week. Just be, be careful out there, folks. All right, let's step outside of the world of money and business, get a check on some of this morning's other headlines. Philip Mena is in New York with those. Philip, good morning. Hi, Brian. Good morning. An independent special counsel is now investigating President Biden's handling of classified documents as he was leaving the vice presidency after another batch was discovered. The president saying his lawyers uncovered a small number of documents with classified markings in storage areas in his home, personal library and his garage. A new report out from the Pentagon says the Defense Department has received 366 new reports of UFOs since March of 2021. Most of them come from members of the Navy and Air Force who often spot these as potential flight hazards. The Defense Department assessed that 26 were drones, 163 were balloons, 6 could be birds or plastic bags, but that leaves 171 that have not been explained. Music fans are mourning the loss of rock royalty. Lisa Marie Presley has died at the age of 54. The only daughter of Elvis Presley was rushed to the hospital on Thursday after suffering cardiac arrest. Her mother, Priscilla Presley, said the family is shocked and devastated by her tragic death. Finally, today is Friday the 13th, but it could be the luckiest day on the calendar for Mega Millions players. Tonight's jackpot is worth $1.35 billion. That is the second largest prize in Mega Millions history. And tomorrow night's Powerball jackpot sits at $404 million. So, Brian, for maybe somebody out there, today is their last day at work ever. My mom, my elderly mother over Christmas, gave me a scratch-off. She loves to play the scratch-off. She couldn't read, so she gave it to me. I took it into a store, scanned it this week because it was sitting in my car, and it was a $20 winner. 
So I took the $20 and I did something I never do, which is I bought a Mega Millions ticket. So I'll tell you what, Philip, if I yeah. win, I'm going to take you anywhere you want, under $20 a person. <laughs> you and I, we're going out Pret-a-Manger, Chick-fil-A, right near Rock <laughs> Center, whatever you want, my man. All right. Tell I'm you. gonna take I'm, I'm gonna, gonna take you style. I'm gonna take you up on that, Brian. For sure. I'm gonna take you up. So good luck to you. Uh, especially you. Everybody else who's playing, Six good luck. Piece but nuggets. I'm rooting for you with extra sauce too, if we don't mind. Extra dipping sauce. That po- Polynesian sauce from Chick-fil-A, that is the way to go. Philip Mena, thank you very much, my man. We do appreciate you got it. it. We'll go someplace nice, so don't worry. All right, as we head to break, yet another domino falling in the wake of FTX and the crypto collapse. Watch this. They calm their minds and steal their nerves with four simple words that have been whispered by the intrepid since the time of the Romans. Fortune favors the brave. That's right. Known for its blockbuster and sometimes confusing Super Bowl ads, Crypto.com announcing this morning it will be cutting its headcount by about 20%, citing what else? Industry-wide challenges. The layoffs of the firm's second about six months after an earlier round back in July. And just another footnote in the history of companies with names sports fields or arenas. Remember, Crypto.com is on the stadium or the arena where the Lakers and the Clippers play in Los Angeles. Worldwide Exchange is back right after this. Your money looking to wrap up a winning week. In fact, tech could make it six straight days of gains. Earnings said to provide some fresh fuel for investors. Banks among the bevy of results set to roll out their numbers. Financials, they've been on a run of late. Anton Schutz is here with some stocks he likes. And Southwest Airlines beleaguered CEO saying all options are on the table when it comes to preventing a repeat of the airline's holiday travel collapse. It is Friday, January 13th. This is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome welcome back, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Friday morning just after 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. And it has certainly been a fine run for stocks lately, hasn't it? Because we have been up every day this week. All the major averages are higher with more gains in the market yesterday. Right now, no indication of which way the markets are going to go. Dow futures up a whopping 15 NASDAQ down 15, so we'll call that unchanged on average. But overall, it has been a very good start to the year for stocks. And coming up in a few minutes in your RBI, we've got some numbers on the hottest of the hot stocks out there and also one that's been ice cold. In the meantime, oil, not hot, but warming up, continues to tick higher. It's closing back in on $80 per barrel right now. Crude oil here, it's 79 and change. Brent crude 84 and a half. All right, let's step outside of that and get a check on some of this morning's top stories, including the latest on the continued fallout over that travel meltdown from Southwest Airlines over the holidays. Pippa Stevens back with that and more of your key headlines on this Friday. Pippa. Hey, Brian. Well, we start here in the energy space with ConocoPhillips reportedly looking to get back into Venezuelan oil. According to the Wall Street Journal, the company is now open to a deal to sell the country's oil in the U.S. The journal says the preliminary talks between ConocoPhillips and national oil company PDVSA would be a way for Conoco to recover the close to $10 billion it is owed by Venezuela. ConocoPhillips abandoned Venezuela after its assets were nationalized in 2007. 
And Southwest CEO says all options are on the table to prevent another meltdown like the one the airline faced over the holidays. Speaking with Reuters, Bob Jordan said Southwest's board has set up a new operations review committee to oversee management, adding the airline has hired consultancy Oliver Wyman to investigate the disruption. When asked about his job security, Jordan told Reuters he was not focused on that, but is instead focused on rebuilding trust with Southwest employees and customers. And Google and NVIDIA are reportedly raising concerns with regulators about Microsoft's $69 billion bid for Activision Blizzard. According to Bloomberg, the pair have argued that the deal could give Microsoft an unfair competitive advantage, specifically in the areas of mobile gaming, subscriptions and the cloud. The report adds that Google and NVIDIA have provided information supporting the FTC's case to block the deal. Brian. All right, Pippa Stevens. Pippa, we appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you very much. All right, for now, let's talk about money, specifically the earnings onslaughts onslaught about to come from big banks, both big and small. And many bank stocks have been red hot lately, with the KBE Bank Index up nearly 5% this year. So what are the names that you want to watch? Well, no one knows, like Anton Schutz of Menden Capital Advisors. And he joins us now. Anton, good to have you back on. Thanks for getting up early, my man. Listen, you're known for focusing more on finding these, you know, these regional banks that end up being taken out, usually at a great profit to you and your, and your clients. But do you have a view on the big banks right now? Those are the earnings that we're going to talk about on CNBC. What are you expecting? Well, uh, I'm expecting a mixed bag, right? There's some parts of the banking space that are doing well. Uh, certainly net interest income is been a big focus of investors. And with rates no longer at zero, banks have actually benefited from the rates rising. That may be close to an end, right? Deposit costs may be starting to catch up, but that's still a highlight. Um, clearly, the lowlights are um, investment banking. You know, you've seen some job cuts on the street, you know, activities down. Uh, but um, what we're looking for at the end of the day isn't just the numbers, because we talked about net interest income maybe being near the end of the upward trajectory. What we're looking for really is the guidance and the comments about things like credit quality, loan growth, um, really important factors. The U.S. consumer is going to be big for a lot of these companies have big credit card divisions. If you think about what these companies have done with all reporting uh, today is they've made it harder to analyze because just everybody's scrambling to go through the numbers at the same time. But at the end of the day, you know, comments from people like Jamie Dimon are just going to be critical both the stock market and their stocks. Yeah. You know, we like to lump them all together, Anton, as you know, on CNBC. Well, the big banks, and, and like, they're all the same. But they're all very different in their own ways. Is there anybody you think that is better positioned for the next 12 to 24 months? Well, that's a, that's a great question on the, on the big guys. Uh, I really like Wells Fargo because Wells Fargo has been in so much of the spotlight, have paid so much in the way of settlements, and fines and been cleaning up the company and they've got you know the ability to grow capital and once they ever get out from that cap of being able to grow the balance sheet they can really increase earnings dramatically so they're probably most likely to buy back more stock than other banks they definitely uh, are more likely to grow faster if they were get let out from under that cap but they've done a lot of work uh, to get out from under that they've paid a lot of fines they've settled with a lot of regulators clearly what they did was terrible but this has been a number of years now, and they brought in everybody new to, to clean this thing up. So I think this one has the best upside. Uh, and I also think defensively, from a buyback perspective, 
they also have the ability to continue to buy back stock where others from a balance sheet perspective are you know not are more constrained does feel like wells fargo is in many ways a totally different bank than a couple of years ago let's talk about a name we don't talk about much if ever one of these sort of mid-major type banks well known in the on the east coast unknown probably outside of that first republic ticker frc why is this on your radar anton well i mean first of all i'm a customer so you know, they, they, they're fantastic customer service. They're, they're just really, you know, incredibly responsive. Um, second of all, they can really benefit from rates going back down again, right? You look at the chart, looks terrible, um, you know, it was all-time highs because they are more interest sensitive, which means if rates come down, they'll actually make more money. So people are starting to look at this. They're starting to look at companies like New York Community that have more uh, interest sensitivity if rates actually start to drop. And, and so this is the kind of name that could benefit from that. But, you know, definitely one of the best customer service names out there. FRC, First Republic Bank. We, I know you're going to be super busy, Anton. You're up already early, got the suit and tie on. You're ready for the big bank fight. We appreciate your views, Anton, as always. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you, too. Be well. Oh, oh, very welcome. Thank you. And following those bank results, by the way, a pair of can't-miss interviews. you got BlackRock Chairman and CEO Larry Fink, first on at CNBC at 9.30 a.m., and Bank of America Chairman and CEO Brian Moynihan, exclusively on CNBC at 3 p.m. today. All right on deck. Your morning RBI is going deep. We are looking at some of the hottest and coldest stocks so far and what has been a pretty hot year for stocks. That's next when Wex returns. All right, welcome back. Let's get random but interesting, shall we? And today's RBI has no great insight or wisdom into any specific hot topic. But we do have some insight into hot stocks and what has been a pretty hot start for the year for many investments. And if you have not been paying attention, don't worry. That's literally what we get paid to do. So listen, some of these heady stats. 420, 420 of the S&P 500 stocks are higher this year. Insert cannabis joke here. 88 of those are up more than 10%, and nine members of the S&P 500 have popped more than 20% so far in 2023. So who has been the hottest of the hot? Well, it's kind of been all about you, the consumer, either traveling or watching TV. Check this out. The 10 best performing S&P 500 stocks this year, Warner Brothers Discovery at 39%, United Airlines, followed by American Airlines up 33%. Then you got Carnival Cruise Lines, Royal Caribbean, and Norwegian all up about 25%. Kind of tuck in a little GE there in the middle. Then you got Delta Airlines, Western Digital, and other streamer, Paramount Global, up 19% this year. So in the top 10, you got two streamers, three airlines, and three cruise lines all in the top 10. Who would have seen that company? coming. Certainly not me. And that has actually helped what they call communication services be the best performing S&P sector this year. And since many of you, though, prefer to own ETFs over stocks, here are the top five best big funds so far this year. It's really all been about gold. The Vanek Gold Miners Index, GDX, up 12%. The Invesco Solar ETF, ticker TAN, up 11%. That's followed by the FXI China ETF, the SMH 
Semiconductor ETF, and the Invesco Leisure and Entertainment ETF, PEJ, up 9%. Try to find some kind of correlation there. I dare you. I couldn't. Gold, solar, China, whatever. And since it is not all wine and roses out there, can you name the worst performing S&P 500 stock so far this year? Probably not. You have a 1 in 500 chance, but we can. It is Chicago-based medical device maker Baxter International. Baxter, B-A-X, down 12%. Not a great start for investors this year. Or, by the way, the Chicago Power City Index, of which Baxter is a member. But overall, a very good start to 2023 for many stocks. And history says that means, meaning a good start to the year, could be a good year for the markets. So history says... Only time will tell. Hopefully it is a little random and a little bit interesting. All right, on deck, Greg Branch is here. He's going to lay out the bull case for the markets on this Opportunity Friday when he says a rally could happen. And by the way, general reminder, if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast on all major, major podcasting platforms. We are back after this. All right, welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories that you may have missed as we close in on the 6 a.m. hour. Apple CEO Tim Cook getting a 40% pay cut. Change coming after a request from Cook following an earlier shareholder vote on his pay package. Crypto.com announcing it is reducing its workforce by 20%. The move coming amid the fallout of FTX's collapse and after a previous round of job cuts at the company. The SEC suing crypto firms Genesis and Gemini yesterday over a $900 million lending program that allegedly violated investor protection laws. Both companies being accused of failing to provide clients with detailed financial disclosures. Tesla cutting prices on its cars again, this time though in the United States, by as much as 20%. The biggest cuts coming to the Model Y and the Model 3. A Boeing 737 MAX jet taking off in China today. Why do we note it? It's the first time that's happened since 2019. China was the first country to ground the 737 MAX after two fatal crashes involving the plane. And shares of Virgin Galactic popping after reaffirming its target to launch commercial service in the second quarter of this year. That stock up more than 30% so far this year. All right, let's gear you up for the trading day ahead and next week. And we've been discussing all show. We're waiting earnings from a lot of the big banks like B of A, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo also set to get results from BlackRock, Delta Airlines, and a pair of Fed speeches in the 10 a.m. hour with Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari and Philly Fed President Patrick Harker both speaking. Let's tie it all together and bring in our friend Greg Branch. We call it Opportunity Fridays here. Greg of Veritas Financial. Greg, good to have you back on. Obviously, listen, we're about ready to, to start here, earnings. It, it happens every three months. Seems to be important this time because everyone's kind of somewhat negative. What are you watching the most closely in the next few days and weeks? So obviously the first and foremost is that we get the banks and the banks are going to give us insight into what's going on with consumers and businesses and how they are weathering the storm and how they're preparing for the storm. And so I think the banks surprised everyone the last couple of quarters as they started to provision. Obviously, their outlook on the economy, businesses and consumers were very different, particularly from our colleagues who were were trying to build bull cases. 
And so I think that that will give us the first insight. I am a little bit worried about the health of the consumer balance sheet. Uh, as we've noted before, not only did credit card openings every quarter set a record, but the savings rate dipped to 2.3%. And so I'm a little bit worried about the health of the consumer as we go through this, particularly as I think Fed action is going to be more aggressive than most people are anticipating. I see a terminal rate of probably 6%. You know, you mentioned Neil Kashkari, you know, who's been among the most dovish of the Fed presidents, and even he penciled in 5.4% we saw in that note. So I think the market's probably ill-prepared for that. Uh, and I think that uh, the earnings, yeah. as we know, have come down pretty dramatically, the estimates. But, you know, you, you just heard those stats, Greg, that consumer companies, airlines, trout, I mean, cruise lines, all of them are up 20%. So clearly, at least in the first few days of the year, and I know it's, it's a couple days, the market doesn't appear that worried about the consumer. And there's reasons to not be worried. And obviously, consumer confidence has come off of a low when we see those surveys. And the consumer's been spending. Consumer spending has not uh, cratered as, as one might think uh, in the midst of a recession. But at the end of the day, I think that we've been doing a lot of that on leverage, as I noted, the savings rate and the credit cards. And that runs out at some point, Brian, particularly if the Fed is trying to drive to 4.5 percent unemployment. I think we'll see all of that spending come under pressure. And so I think that the market's forecast where the consumer is going to be and how they continue to spend might be off a bit. Yeah, and then we got the Fed speakers as well. Hopefully the Fed's going to be pretty much off the table. Maybe we get a slight rate hike at the, at the February meeting, but that's probably going to be it. Once the Fed is finally out of the picture, which it will be, hopefully, Greg, sooner than later, by the way, what then? I mean, it's like we've been addicted to the Fed for so long what then becomes the focus of the macro market longer term? I think we get back to valuation. And I don't think that um, I think that the Fed will remain in the picture probably a little bit longer than you're intimating, Brian. Uh, I think that there's probably another okay. 200 basis points to go. And, uh, you know, once we get past that headwind, once we get past that, you know, trying to connive what the Fed's going to do and reading into every data point, trying to predict their actions, which I think we'll get past in the second quarter. Then we can return to valuation, provided that the estimates are reasonable. I think that that happens by the second quarter as well. And now we can start to tell if things are cheap or expensive. Just because something's been crushed doesn't mean it's actually cheap. But we have no reliable valuation metrics unless the estimates are reliable. Okay, then. If you're right and we get another 2%, a.k.a. 200 basis points. By the way, i got to pay myself money. I said I wouldn't say basis point anymore. Um, what does that mean for valuations? Because when rates go up, the home market has to revalue, which it did. And that's what we saw mostly in, in 2022, bring those multiples, those estimates down. If we go up another 2%, are we fairly valued? I know you have to go stock by stock, but for the macro market. So, you know, these things are connected, right? If we go up another 2%, I think that that has to be taken into account for those, you know, third and fourth quarter estimates. And they need to come down. Right now, they're too high at high single digits. I think that that's rather unlikely. But once they do come down, now we can at least determine what a reliable multiple is. You know, if we're using estimates that are 10 to 20 percent too high, it's really hard to rely on a multiple to say something is cheap. So I think once we rebase in terms of where the estimates are, once the Fed is out of the way, at least we can reliably perform the exercise of valuation. 
Yeah, and and if we got all these bank earnings out, let's say the banks come in great. Okay, I want to be optimistic. It's Friday. The banks come in great. The numbers are good. The guidance is better. Does the market take off, or do you think this five and six day run we've had for the S and P and the Nasdaq that that's the expectation of decent numbers from the banks because the banks do have the power to move the market, Greg. And so there'll be two things we need to look at for the banks. As, as everyone has noted, the net interest margin environment has become much more positive for the banks, and that's where they make uh, the lion's share uh, of, their, of their profit. And so that can remain intact, and that can remain something that's progressing. But at the same time, we're going to have to look at that provisioning because the, the loan book and how it seasons and the losses, the losses that they're preparing for will give us a, a good view into what and how the consumer and the businesses will be affected. So the banks can actually do well, but we have to take a look at those, those provisioning numbers because that's going to tell us what's going to happen you know, mid to end year. Well, okay, we meet up this time on, on December 31st or whatever the, la- whatever the last trading day is of the market. Where, where do we see the market, higher or lower from here? I think higher. Uh, I think we're probably range bound for the first half. I think it'll be volatile. I think the estimates need to come down. I think we need to agree on what the Fed's going to do. You know, right now the Fed's telling us one thing, but Fed futures is indicating a terminal rate below 5%. uh, And I think that the market will probably be surprised by the actions that they take that they told us they're going to take. So I think we're range bound for the first couple quarters. But once those estimates come down, rally in the fourth quarter. I like it. A little optimistic uh, optimism on an opportunity Friday. Greg, thank you. By the way, earnings alert right now from United Health. Bertha Coombs is here. Bertha? much, Brian. United Health definitely sets the tone for the rest of the uh, the healthcare sector. Fourth quarter results beating expectations for both earnings and revenues. Adjusted earnings of five dollars and thirty four cents a share. That's seventeen cents above the estimate on revenues of eighty two point eight billion versus eighty two point six billion expectation. In the insurance unit, the United Healthcare area posting revenues of sixty three billion dollars. That was higher than expected, beating operating income as well, coming in at $2.9 billion. Despite the triple surge of flu, RSV, and COVID during the quarter, medical costs were roughly in line at 82.8% of premiums. That is going to be positive for the healthcare sector today. Membership grew by $1.2 million for the full year 2022. Over on the Optum Services side, fourth quarter revenues, $47.9 billion, topped. And operating income, Brian, came in at $4 billion dollars also better than the street was looking for over to you all right the first earnings of the day bertha thank you very much and our thanks to greg branch as well and our thanks to all of you for tuning in to worldwide exchange we will see you on tuesday remember monday is a holiday Martin luther king jr day squawk box is next have a great weekend You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.